Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump in in a different spot. Hopefully you can turn to Mark 1. We're really going to kind of uh, just see uh, the big picture of Mark today. But I want to tell you about an event that hit the calendar this week that's really important. It's not on our calendar, but it, it, it does affect people worldwide. And that is that Ramadan started this week. Now, maybe that's not what you expected us to talk about at the very beginning uh, of a worship service where we're opening up Mark, but Ramadan is this Muslim month uh, of prayer and fasting. It's a really unique season. There there is no eating or drinking. Uh, There is extra prayer and focus paid attention to the Lord uh, from sunup to sundown. And Muslims around the world will follow this. I spent a a good 12 years in in a number of these countries uh, of the Muslim world. We we spent time living and visiting and being out there. I spent uh, a lot of days of Ramadan, a lot of sweaty, hot days of of Ramadan, surrounded in a culture that is entirely Muslim. And and this is a significant moment. And I bring it up because uh, just... There's so many people that talk and say things. There's so much of your truth, my truth in the world today. There's so much of like, well, that's what they believe and that's what we believe or or that's what you believe or you think. And we we just end up saying things without definitions. We end up just walking with a lot of murkiness in what people believe. And we, we can see this all over the place. The the idea, the use of the term friends now has just been muddied up. What is, what is a friend in a social media age? The, the, the whole concept of followers and influencers and what that looks like. But, but you see this around in different things. Even the, the coexist of bumper stickers, which again, neither here nor there, but there's no definitions with those symbols. There's no definitions for what that represents. And, and I bring this up because uh, Islam, Ramadan, uh, but the faith of Islam actually makes a very specific claim. And there's a confession that is at the center of Islam. It doesn't matter which mosque you go in around the world. You will see the confession which says that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. It doesn't matter where you go. That is the confession of Islam. It is a very specific one. And there's, there's no murkiness with this. They're making a claim. The same is true with, with Uh, Christianity is that there's a very clear claim. We're we're not just one of a lot of things. Christianity is making a very clear claim that this God has come to earth. He, He lived, he died, he sacrificed for your sins, and he rose again. It is, it is crazy. It is uh, altogether incredible. There's a claim like no other, and yet so often, especially in this part of the world, we're not in the Muslim world, we're in the, the Bible belt, so to speak. In this part of the world, we talk so much about Jesus without definitions. We talk and say things. Almost everybody in this part of the world has nice things that they know about Jesus, but often hasn't actually stopped and paid attention to what is being claimed in Scripture. This time of year around Easter time, you'll see all the magazines, you'll see all the headlines. There's always a Newsweek article, a USA Today article. There's so much discussion 
uh, there's so much activity around Jesus with very little intentionality around Jesus. Uh, not long ago, there was a study, and, and people were, were researching all the paintings of the, of the Last Supper, and, and they were studying not Jesus, not what was said. They were studying the size of the plates in the paintings. You could go to a university and you could study the Bible as literature. You could go find out all this talk about Jesus and the historicity of Jesus, uh, genre, all sorts of fiction about Jesus, all sorts of things. And and too often, if you're anything like me or anything like uh, people in our area, we know a lot of things about Jesus and we've never actually stopped and seen Jesus. We read books about it. We hear things, but we, we get it. There's... But we don't actually stop and read these books. You see, this murkiness, this, this lack of clarity about what it means to be a follower of Jesus is, is exactly why we're excited to step in and read the book of Mark. This is the, the reason that we're doing this, to know this person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and, and I want to be really clear about this. Uh, we are inviting you to take this walk with us and to see who Jesus is, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Whether you would call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus or not, this is an invitation to every single person that we come across simply to walk with us. And I, I'll tell you, one of the things that informs that in me is my time overseas. When we would... Uh, be talking with people. Again, we're in a Muslim context, many times in Ramadan, where people are saying, God, show yourself to me. Like, our entire message to them was simply read and see who Jesus says that he is. And so we would give them one of those, the, the books, one of the four books that we often refer to as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and we would simply give them something really similar to this in their language, and we'd say, here, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Read this with me. Just read this and see if Jesus is who he says he is. That, that was how we walked through it. Many people, for the very first time, stepping into this, would read and say, is this who he is? And they would come to faith. And so we're excited to do this. Our, our purpose is to show that through his words and actions, uh, that just how beautifully his life makes sense of ours. In, in, in so many ways, that this is the story of a king and his kingdom. And so that's how we're going to break it down today. We're just going to take a really simple look Starting a bit with context, but then say, who is this king and what is his kingdom? And so, I want you to just pause, set the scene in your head, and recognize that where we jump in in, in this book of Mark is, is a really interesting spot. The Israel has been up in arms, has just been in turmoil for 400 plus years. Israel's been all over the map. They've been conquered by different countries. They have been living through oppression. They, they are a military state, and that military state has gone from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to now the Romans are here over this place. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, generation upon generation, the, the Israelites from the way back, this country of Israel, the Jews have been saying, God, when are you going to send one? 
When are you going to reign again? When are you going to come and rescue us from this oppression? And that's kind of the culture that they find themselves in. As we read this, you'll see there are all these different like religious factions there's a whole group out in the desert that thinks everything happening in Jerusalem now is crazy and messed up. There, there's all this stuff breaking down. There are groups upon groups. And, and, and yet, there are people that are like, hey, this, this isn't all bad. <laughs> we can deal with this. And you have now, uh, the Romans put someone on the throne. They put King Herod on the throne, this this half-Jewish man who is super wealthy and super corrupt. And, and right here is the context of this story that Mark is speaking to and saying it's in this spot that Jesus shows up. That Jesus shows up. This hoping for a day when the king would come, hoping for this rescue from the oppressors, hoping for all of these things that the 400 plus years that they've experienced would somehow uh, be changed because of what he's done. And we get this person, Mark, writing it. We need to take just a, a brief look at Mark. Later on in First Peter, Peter refers to Mark as his son, as his son in the faith. We have other accounts through history that speak of, of Mark as Peter's secretary, so to speak, and the one who is transcribing Peter's words. And as we read through that, you'll see that Peter shows up in every account given by Mark. We very much have an eyewitness uh, being translated through Mark of what those events actually looked like. And, and it is in this context and with this person that we see these words coming to us. Mark makes this massive claim that Jesus, this king, has come. Read, we're just going to put it on the screen, and Mark 1.1. 1, 1 is going to guide us through so much of this today. And we're going to take it real slow through it, but, but notice what it says. And let's take each word in this. It says, the beginning, this, this spot right here is more than just a, a nice kind of like opening to a book. It's different than Matthew and Luke and John. It's different. He goes directly back to something that would have raised antennas for the readers, which was the beginning. The beginning, uh, that sounds really familiar all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. This first impression created by the gospel, it is something that happened. Something has happened. And then he moves directly to that, the beginning of the gospel. And now I recognize that we use the gospel in a lot of ways. We say the word, the gospel. We, say, we talk about the gospel as, like, did you believe the gospel? Or, or these books of the gospel. We talk about the gospel in different ways. That that person preached the gospel. We speak of the gospels, plural, but that's not how they would have originally heard it. That's, that's not even how it was meant. It represented the, the good news. That's actually what it stands for, and maybe you've heard that before, but it, it's more than that. It's announcing that something significant has happened that changes things. Something has stepped in that changes history. It's used of Augustus, Roman, Roman Emperor Augustus. It is the essential, basic backbone of the historicity of the Christian message that something happened that changes everything. You see, that's where when we're just talking about Jesus in murky terms without definitions, we miss it. 
When we just say, yeah, like I like Jesus and I like this too, we miss it because there's a statement that's being made here in these first five words that something has happened that changes everything. This Old Testament root of it goes right back to the idea of the inbreaking of God into this world. That God has shown up. And for us, understanding this, this message and this, this messenger being spoken of, as, as we see that Mark is going to name the person at the center of all of it, understanding the message in this messenger that has come is central to who we are as Christians. Again, maybe that's not something that you're, you're prepared to believe right now. And the invitation for you is, is simply to look and to see the claims of Christ. To read with us and walk with us. Your questions are welcome here. You're, you are welcome with us. We want you to walk through this with us. It, it goes from the beginning of the gospel and then it names it of Jesus. And Jesus, for us, is something that has become like synonymous we, we know that. We know something's going to get talked about when we name the name of Jesus. But for them, Jesus was a common name. Jesus was a, a, a really common name until the second century. And then people didn't want to be associated with that name, so they stopped naming their kids Jesus. You see, it, it had an influence even in that day in which it was like, oh, wait. Like, that guy got hung on a cross. I'm not going to name my kid that. And then the followers, those who claim the name of Jesus, didn't name their kids Jesus out of respect. This name uh, means something. It means Yahweh is salvation. And Matthew, when he opens up his book, the, the story of Jesus, Matthew says it this way, that you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, Matthew gets right to the heart of this name. It goes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, and then it uses that next word, which is really important for us, of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. This is not a name. It's not a last name. It's a title being given. And maybe you've read this a million times and you've, you've just breezed right through this whole story or, or these words. And we, we hear Jesus Christ or we, we hear it thrown out as an expletive. We hear it in different ways used. But Jesus is a name and Christ is a title. And Mark is making a statement really clear right here. It means, that title means the anointed one or the, or the Messiah. This was the one that the Jewish people had been waiting on. This is the, the hundreds of years that they've been waiting and saying, who is coming? And Mark is naming him. The Christ has come. And certainly the, the readers had plenty of questions. The, the people who lived in that time had plenty of questions that were going through their heads. But this promised one is now named in this person of Jesus, carrying the title of Christ who is at the very heart of this entire story. And as if that's not enough, you get these like inflammatory words. You get these charged words that come out that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
That's what we're looking at. It says the son of God, that he is uniquely this son, uniquely this one. Uh, we, we need to get that from the outset. So for our, our, our friends, my friends, so many that I love who are actually walking and recognizing Ramadan, those words are a dividing line. They can get through the rest of them, but those words are the dividing line. And the Son of God is a really uh, difficult concept. And that might be a really difficult concept for you right here this morning. I simply want to invite you in and to read with us. This story, of the one that the Bible claims is the promised one. And I want to pray that God would open all of our eyes together. That this king has come and now anything can happen. And the, the, this very first sentence breaks it down and tells us that God has broken into history and things are different now. And so this book of Mark breaks down into kind of two acts. It, it has this first section that goes all the way up to chapter 9, which is so many miracle after miracle. There's so many things happening in this. It feels like it's at a pace, and it, it just feels like we're walking through this. It, it is broken into two acts. And then you get this second half, which is largely a march to the cross. You get all these miracles, you get this one who is over all these things, and then the second half of the book marches to the cross, this one who will be broken, this one who will suffer, and this one who will die. And right in the middle is this, this moment. We'll talk about that in a second. One of the things that you'll notice as we walk through it, if you read it with us, is how often Mark uses this term, immediately. Immediately. We'll read it in, in account after account, and Mark kind of picks up the pace each time. This has happened. Jesus stepped in here, and immediately these things came about. And immediately uh, they were called on to move. Immediately things changed again and again. It is no accident that this is thrown out there. Mark writes, even from the very first sentence, and he makes something really clear that the status quo has been changed. And I think that's interesting for us because too often we come to church and we just say, yeah, it's business as usual. And this book from the very first verse says it is not business as usual. Things have changed. Mark states it clearly from this very first verse. He, he's asking us this question. Who is Jesus? Mark gives his answer. And the rest of this book unfolds this question before us. Who is Jesus to you? He puts it out there, this king, this king has come. Who do you see him? How do you see him? And then it throws out this addendum that goes with a king is that a king has a kingdom. And this book, again and again, speaks to the kingdom of God being at hand. We don't have to get very far. It is, it is verse 15 of chapter 1. It says this. The time is fulfilled. Again, what time is that? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel 
See, there's a king who has a kingdom, and then there's a demand for a response right there. The audacious claims of the Bible, the, uh, and Mark specifically, is that Jesus is, uh, is God. Jesus is stepping into this world and that his kingly rule, his power and authority is present and it demands a response. That he has stepped in just not how they expected. And this matters to us because Jesus works in our lives today often in ways that we don't expect. You see, they were looking for someone to to take out and kick out Rome. They were looking for someone to kind of make them uh, big and mighty again. And the king of the universe stepped in and did something altogether different, altogether more beautiful, and altogether more difficult. The king steps in and takes away their sins and changes everything. And throughout this book, people are called not just to hear that the kingdom is imminent, but to do something about it. To do something about it. Right here in verse 15, they should repent and believe. See, the all-powerful one, the miracle worker of the first half of the book, becomes the one who lays down his life in the second half of the book. And it it demands a response. This book, (laughs) this book of Mark is about who Jesus is. It's also about how people, you and I and the people here in these stories, responded to Jesus. And those themes run through every single line, every single page of this. It goes through every bit of it, and, and Mark wants us to get that. Again, right in the middle is this section that everything hinges around. This transfiguration of Jesus, and we'll get there as we move forward, but that big word, transfiguration, Jesus shows up on a mountain. Jesus is on there, and God reveals, he pulls back all uh, the trappings and reveals Jesus in all his glory. And, And others show up. Jesus shows himself in all beauty and glory. And there are these, these accounts that are before and after, after that book in that that are really beautiful for us and, and highlight what's going on. Right before that, you have this confession of Peter that is historical and something that even if you, you've never really gone to church, you've probably he- heard this. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, who do you say I am? Again, Mark opens this book saying, making this bold claim of who Jesus is. Right in the middle of this book, Jesus looks at his disciple and says, who do you say I am? You have this transfiguration on the mountain and coming out of that, you have a a father begging for healing. You have this really beautiful account in Mark, Mark 9, of a, just a hurting dad. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, man, this is possible for those who believe. And this father says something really important in that moment. In chapter 9, verse 23, 
we hear all things are possible for one who believes. In verse 24, it says, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that verse. <laughs> I love that verse because it seems so honest and I'm thankful that it is, is right here for us because I think that's where a lot of us are. God, I do believe, and yet I have all these areas of my life where I just, I struggle to believe. I have all these areas in which I have all these questions, and I, I'm not sure. And right here in this book, Mark puts in there these very words that sound like each and every one of us. I do believe. Help my unbelief. You see, we would we would talk to people in Turkey and we would walk with them and we would have them uh, read one of these gospel accounts, one of these first four books of the New Testament. And oftentimes we would give that to them and just say, see who this is. And they would come back with so many questions and they would come back saying a lot of things just like this. I said, I believe in that one. Help my unbelief. And I think that's true for us as well. I think that's true for for many of us, I grew up with all sorts of, of murky notions around who Jesus is. I, I knew certain things. I, I knew that I should probably read the Bible at some point. And, and yet, what I really started doing was I just started going to church, and, and not because of God, but because of girls. And I started going to church, and then I was reading all these other books, and, and not really uh, anything about Jesus. And there were, there were plenty of times in my life where I could have just kind of nodded my head and said things about Jesus. I remember early on, uh, I, I remember my parents dragging me to church. I remember crying in the car, not wanting to go in and thinking, this is stupid. Well, I don't want to be there. I don't want any part of this place. And I remember walking into that Sunday school class and guess what they did on that day in Sunday school class? It was Bible test day. And all my worst fears were out there. One of the tests was, uh, I remember vividly, it's like burned into me, PTSD on this. It was like one of the things was like, tell us your favorite Bible verse. I had no idea. Like, what the heck? I have no idea. You know what I said? I was pretty good. I was like, I, I knew the game. I said, Jesus wept. Which is, there's some beauty to that, and I could probably articulate a lot of reasons why that's a really beautiful verse now. But at the time, it was because I just had all these murky ideas about what Jesus was and who he was. And someone came to me and said, similarly to what I'm saying to you, of just read it with me, friend. Just kind of walk through this long form with me and read it. And see if who this God is, who he says he is. And so the invitation for you today is to take this walk with us over the next few months and to, to simply look at who Jesus is for yourself.